For the week of June 21st, my name is Justin Hurd. Nathan Steinman. Skyler Deal. And uh, how's it going, guys? It's uh, been a couple weeks. Well, a couple weeks. Been a couple extra weeks for Mr. Skyler over there. Yeah. Well, what you been up to, Skyler? Surviving the floods. <laughs> yeah, everywhere. Not, every- not even joking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. That, it's not a joke anymore. Literally the worst. Did, did uh, you see the photos of... Uh, Red of, River. Yeah, the Red River, where it is... Uh, it's it's it's, just it's a it's a foot from just going over the bridge and shutting down all traffic to Dallas and Galveston. Yeah, I mean, like it, it's insane. They're apparently looking at it right now for structural integrity. Like, yeah. like we're expecting this to fail at any minute. Yeah, the Army Corps of Engineers is like freaking out right now. Yeah, so there is a land rock slide too, right? Yeah, there's a rock slide. Uh, the Washita River flooded over, and uh, like ten killers flooded over. Uh, Turner Falls is like a rapids yes. right now. Yeah, instead I sent of a, kids home from Falls yeah. Creek early because the yeah, whole like, campground's flooded. Yeah, over they've there. they've canceled almost every camp, like in that's surrounding Ufala, Ten Killer, and Turner Falls. Okay, so um, we are we're in the end times. Yeah. So welcome to well, the Doobies Consumers <laughs> so End Times Edition. That, that, that's what happens, I guess, when you live in the Bible Belt. The end times comes to you first. Yes. <laughs> so much rain. Yeah. So um, this week will be our Nerdatois Battle Scenes Edition. Unfortunately, Daryl is not here to join in the fun. But Where's Daryl, man? I don't know. At least you know we still know there's no Dave. So. Yeah. Still no Dave. <laughs> Where the fuck are you? <laughs> Dave! I miss you. Um, so. Which he had some health issues and he's better now, from what I heard. Something so, like that, but yeah. he doesn't show up anyway, so. We'll just keep the fans up to date. Yeah. yeah. His fans don't even listen to us anymore. Sad. Yeah, so you should be a fan of Dave Ferguson. <laughs> I atheism on Twitch and on Twitter. Yeah. Um, so this will be battle scenes. Um, so I guess since Nathan has the topic next week, Nathan, what is your number three battle scene? My number three is actually going to be from a comedy. Uh, it's, uh, from the end of Hot Fuzz. Ooh. Nice. One, because it's been building the whole movie. Uh, all the characters you've seen, you've had... At least two complete setup scenes in that courtyard. Yeah. You know, with running jokes and everything <laughs> that then lead into a firefight in which no one takes a lethal hit. <laughs> like, that's how big of a super cop Nick Angel is. I, I, <laughs> I, I, after watching every frame of painting multiple you know, yeah. times, I had to go back and watch, you know, all the Edgar Wright. And I, I, I honestly think Hot Fuzz is still my favorite. Yeah, Hot Fuzz is amazing. Me too. Me also, too. just because it's the greatest parody of action movies ever made. Right. There's so many in-references to so many different things. What's funny is now, because I've seen t- two different Dario Argento movies since the first time I've 
So I can't, I should have written them down with there. But like I noticed some of and uh, some of the color, like they're standing in the rain, and like they're the the lights, the brake lights are on, and the whole thing is lit red with the brake lights. And I was like, "Fucker, yeah, you're fucking referencing Dario Argento Suspiria in the most subtle ways." Yeah, I think it was Suspiria. Yeah, it was what yeah. he was referencing. He's such a subtle, subtle motherfucker. Uh, but the end, the end of it is just so perfect, leading up into the the swan and the revelation of everything. But really, just the, that battle—it's it's not violent. It's the way it makes fun of the violence we're used to seeing. You know, where everything's a death blow. Even if people get shot in the shoulder, they spin around and die. Yeah. But these, and, well, I mean, and half I mean, of them are elderly. Half of the people getting shot are well, elderly. I mean, even at the end, when it with. Uh, Timothy Dalton with yeah. his whole thing like it goes through the ro- the, the yeah. bottom of his mouth and you're just sitting there like oh he's dead oh this really hurts oh, sh- <laughs> it's like oh yeah that wouldn't kill anybody yeah. what, what the fuck would I, I <laughs> <laughs> bl- nice commentary yeah. nice yeah. fuck you yeah yeah but that that battle sequence for me is kind of like the number three like it has humor it has great pacing it has great editing it has great commentary on action, right? And it also plays with your expectations the whole time. Yeah, because nice. you think they're going to start killing people. No, goose. Yeah. <laughs> no. Back off for the ginger. He- ginger <laughs> nut gets it. <laughs> so Skyler, um, third pick. He just made uh, it sexy. <laughs> third pick. Uh, the final. Um, three-way battle and Return of the Jedi. Uh, That was always... That's not my favorite Star Wars movie, but that was my favorite space battle and land battle. And then there's Luke's fight with his dad at the end. You know, those guys off Red Letter Media were talking about, you know, the first movie, you have that one battle, and then Empire, you have kind of like two. You have Luke fighting his dad and then Han Solo and them trying to get... And you also have the big beginning. Yeah. Beginning fighter battle and stuff see that so. was cool too the fights at the beginning of it yeah. uh in return of jedi you got like three things going on when you compare it to like episode one when you have like four things going on all at the same time at the end but anyway return of the jedi was my favorite um uh, battle in the star wars trilogy because of the how huge it looked you know like when they fly towards the death star lando's like the shields are still up so they make a yui and then you go and you see all those Star Destroyers in yeah. the background, and <laughs> I didn't even notice it when I was a kid. But my dad later on was like, "Okay, they blew up the Death Star. What about all those fifty other Star Destroyers that are out there in the background?" Well, they were destroying <laughs> a lot of those as the movie went on. But that I, I I guess I never realized how protracted. It's been a while since I've watched Return of the Jedi, right? But because uh, that's not like my favorite one, so it's not like the one that I think. Oh man, I should really watch Return of the Jedi today. <laughs> uh, but. Thinking about that, that's that's like half the movie. At least an hour and a half of the movie is the going to Endor, try, or them trying to stop the shield, mm-hmm. them arriving, it's a trap, uh, the, it's sl- a the slow burn into the lightsaber battle, you know. Yeah. That's so much of the movie. And that lightsaber it's fight was an cool hour, too. you know. Yeah. And then like, Luke's gone from being like, okay, to equal <laughs> equal if not better 
a Vader, you know. And well, uh, and you know that's that's my whole thing with that is, you know, loving the um, Star Wars Grindhouse to the future in motion, yeah. where they include they combine three, five, and six all into one movie, and make it so that at the end Luke actually does go to the dark side, kills the Emperor, and then um, the Emperor becomes his new apprentice, and it. Because his spirit comes back oh, oh. and is training him, and that's whenever you see Luke building his lightsaber over the funeral pyre of the Emperor. Hmm. Interesting. And, and it's like, oh, this is oh, so good. This is how it should have been. Luke was not on the. He was. He was. He was full blown dark side, except for like that last minute reversal. Fuck you. Well, I mean, but that's think, supposed. He's supposed to be. I think in Lucas's mind, because Anakin had betrayed, even though, as he said. Oh, I wrote the whole thing. No, you didn't. No, you didn't, George. Uh, you had no idea what happened in those first three movies. You know, uh, well, no, no, it's the, um, <laughs> what is it, the Game of Thrones meme where it's Luke and Leia um, about to swing across and says, looking for love in all the wrong places. And then you have Jamie Lannister going, are they? <laughs> I'm we, just, uh, we, I'm, still, we still have not jumped into the Game of thrones this. We need to. That's totally out of my feel. I've never watched any of that, but you guys, you guys really need to. I don't, actually, honestly, I've only watched the first three seasons and then a couple of episodes of um, season four. I've had some friends that have read the whole. Like they've they've been caught up on the books before. Well, the thing is, is that they have now actually hit the point where there is. Yeah. They're not caught up anymore. Yeah. They, it's, it's it's a whole new thing, and George R. R. Martin has basically said they're going to finish my story before I can finish the books. I'm sorry. That's what they do with a lot of manga these days. You know, there's so many well, animes, and then they're they'll kind of fill it in with episodes, filler, well, makeup I mean, um, stuff. That's that's what happened with <clears throat> Full Metal Alchemist, the first runaround was which I actually love the ending to that and I haven't watched Brotherhood and that's my fault but you know um someone really rec- like he didn't really recommend Full Metal Alchemist but he said Brotherhood well for it was me like the way ending way better yeah and it probably is because about halfway through they went fuck we don't have anything else to go on the guy doesn't even know where it's going okay we're going to do our own thing yeah. but the ending of it for me was like one of the most emotional like oh my god like this fuck <laughs> sort of endings to it that I really can't imagine going into Brotherhood and them they'll they'll top it better narratively, you know, by having every all those loose threads tie in together yeah. because it will be the creator putting it together and have different plot twists. But for the way that the first series ended, like I could not Spoilers for something that came out finished twelve <laughs> years ago, I think yeah. it was, and has been on Adult Adult Swim for as long yeah. as. Okay, so the entire idea about Full Metal Alchemist is that it's these it's um, law of equivalent exchange. Yeah. So they're performing alchemy. They are trying to bring back their mother, um, and so they co- do all the stuff. They do the right circles, but in order to bring back their mother, it needs flesh. So it's these two ten-year-old, like ten-year-old boy and a, or eight-year-old boy and a six-year-old boy, something like that, and it completely takes the brother and takes takes the younger brother completely, and then takes the older brother's um, arm and legs, and the brother manages the older brother manages to attach his brother's soul to a suit of armor. Mm. Yeah, and then it turns out that the whole thing that they resurrected wasn't their mother. It was a homunculus. It was basically just a mindless flesh, whatever monster. Um, So they're trying to fix that. At the end of the series, 
um, I'll, all right, the older brother is able to get back his full body but loses his brother in the process. And so what he does is he puts an alchemy circle on every limb of his body and equivalent exchanges for his brother. And brings back his six-year-old brother, not the brother that he's been that's been in the suit of armor. So he's lost all his memories of his brother and has sacrificed his life only to wake up in our world in the 1920s, essentially. Wow. In a world without magic. Holy fuck shitball. Like, ah! Like, that's a great ending for that. Like, and it shows the personal sacrifice between them. I just don't see how brotherhood could, you know. It'll just be a different story. It's it's a different story at that point. Mm. But for me, that's how that story wrapped up for those kids. Well, well, the thing is, it's like George R. R. Martin, who has said that he has known the ending for quite a while. I mean, he's written. I mean, well, I mean, that's the J.K. Rowling thing with Because, I mean, well, he said the first, he originally, the Song of Ice and Fire was going to be three books. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, he was just going to do three books. And then he got to the, into the second book, and it just blew up or whatever. So he's known, like, what he's going to do. It's just, <laughs> it's just writing the damn thing is probably the hardest part. And making sure it's of the quality that you want to keep churning well, out. He's probably being bugged all the time now by... The rabid well, fans that he well, acquired after the show and all And that. he said he's had to cut a lot of that out of his life the last year in order to finish he the book. He lives in, like, what, New Mexico somewhere? Yeah, I think so. And he Hopefully said, I think he said he writes on a word processor. Like, he doesn't even write on a computer. I think that's right. You know, so, like, it's, a, it's all a very laborious process for him, <clears throat> you know, at this point. Like, he did, I don't even think he wrote an episode of Game of Thrones, so this is the first season he didn't at least write one episode. Wow! Because he's trying to finish the book. Right? Uh, is that is it? Winds of win- Winter? Is, I have no idea. I don't know. I, like I said, I just know overall it's a song of ice and fire. Yeah, but the there's next fire and there's ice. There's things yeah. that are happening. But the next book uh, theoretically is not going to come out before the next season. But <laughs> there's always the possibility. That I could see some editors working over, <laughs> working over some overtime to make sure that book comes out before. Well, you know when they you know. did. Um, we're way off subject now. When they did uh, the Scott, I don't know what you're talking about. When yeah. they did the Scott Pilgrim movie, um, Brian O'Malley was just about done with the last book, so he gave him. He kind of pretty much said, "Okay, this is how I'm gonna." wrap it up yeah. but you it kind of can go either way yeah. so you see the movie he ends up with Ramona but then the alternate ending is he ends up with Knives Yeah. which personally I think about it now I kind of like the Knives ending it makes I, more sense to yeah me. it was I mean it, it's a better payoff for yeah. for the Knives character yeah, especially <clears throat> I mean because does Ramona really care about him all that much I don't know kind of kind of hard she might just leave him for someone else, but knives look like she'd be yeah. faithful. <laughs> but back to uh, Return of the Jedi. I don't know what you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> but the fact that like forge on ahead, we we that he pulled off uh, a aerial battle, a battle on the land, and a battle inside, and a battle in space, but in, in interior, and it's a and it's a one on one fight. And that's a that's an, a pretty impressive feat for a movie. I don't. I can't think of many movies where all three of those things happening simultaneously wouldn't have just fallen apart. Well, and that, that's, you know? I mean, that's essentially what happened with the matrix. 
yeah. is that in that last mm-hmm. last battle, three things were happening. It just happened to all fall apart. Well, but you know that was all the stuff they stole from Dune that just didn't work. Yeah, all the blind savior and all that crap. Well, the build up to that <clears throat> Matrix Part Two. I mean, I ended up not really caring about anybody in the Matrix, to be honest. But you care about Luke and the whole revelation of his dad and Empire. So when he his dad, you know, like rededicates himself to the to the Force to the good side and redeems himself, but sacrificing his own life, you know, that was that was good. I. So I'm kind of curious now to see how 30 years later it's going to lead into episode 7. I want to see what's going to happen. I'm really curious. I'm getting into Star Wars again now. I kind of didn't want to, but... I need to rewatch the trilogy before... I'm sorry, you need to watch the Star Wars Grindhouse. That Uh. is your only future. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you need to legitimately be like, this day we're watching this. Okay, I can do that. Yeah, because um, that's about the only way it'll happen. Because if you just go to this day, this time, be here. We're watching all of the Star Wars Grindhouse movie fan right. edits. Uh, I can make I can make it happen. Yeah, but that's that's the only way it'll, it'll happen. So uh, my number three for top three battle scenes. Oh, Justin has a number three. I do. Yeah, motherfuckers. <laughs> Talking about everything else but mine. God. Um, mine would be um, from the, a movie called The Fall by Tarson. Ah, uh, yes. And this one is, this one's a little bit weird because there's kind of to fit the rest of this story, there's not a big battle scene. But there is. There, there sort of is, but not really. Um, essentially. Because there's a battle, there's an internal conflict battle that's going on along with the battle that's happening in the story, but it is so lackluster, which is almost the which is the point of the story. Yeah, is um, basically the setup for the fall is that it's about a stuntman who becomes paralyzed and he's in a uh, hospital in Mexico. Yeah, uh, it's in it California, okay. and they're uh, like. Ukrainian or Polish immigrants. I can't remember. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, But, um, so he befriends this little girl. Well, the girl befriends, befriends him, but he is telling her a story in order to get him morphine so he can overdose and kill himself. I remember this. Yeah. Yeah, It's a beautifully dark children's film exactly (laughs) and and the the thing what happens is is that he she finally goes and trips and falls and busts her head open and has to go through surgery and you have this very you know dark stop motion animation kind of reveal of what's happening to her and how she's able to interpret it and she wakes up and he's plastered and he is trying to end the story and so he it is you know and and all the all the characters that are it's uh, all the characters of the movie you see that are kind of like there's the guy who brings the ice because it takes place in the early 20th century. There's ice delivery men. There's a doctor. There's uh, a guy who is of is from India. You know, there's a uh, all these characters and they're the they're 
populated into the story. Like what she imagines are all these so real it, people. You know, it's the masked um, masked bandit who is played by Lee Pace. There's um, the silent Indian warrior. There's a muscular ex-slave named Otabinga. An Italian explosive experts called Luigi. Charles Darwin with a pet monkey called Wallace and a mash and then the mass swashbuckling bandit. And the butterfly jacket, that's amazing. Yeah, and then there's <laughs> a um the bad guy is Governor Odious. Yeah. And so in this last, you know, he's completely realized that he has hurt this girl in the process and is trying to end it, but she won't let him. So he decides to tell her a story where each and every character as they assault the governor's mansion is brutally murdered and just gives up like people getting shot with 17 different arrows trying to save her while she's trying to save somebody else who's being beaten and then them fall that person falling and they you know basically hoisting themselves on a bed of their of the a bed made out of the arrows that are in their back yeah and you know it's this wonderfully dark in, imagery but also with very childish like logic where you know he admits that he's a coward. She goes, you know, no, he 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 swore an oath of vengeance. No, he wasn't. He had his fingers crossed, and it shows him whenever he made the oath of vengeance, and it just shows him with his fingers crossed down by his side. Yeah, like, you know, and it it's so kind of lackluster the way each character dies, but it's also him giving up, and then at the last second going, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. He got up, he punched the guy. Everything's good. We're good. Okay. <laughs> Stop crying, you know, essentially. So, you know, it's not this big epic battle, but it's, you know, it is a battle being fought both kind of for his soul along with these characters as they're fighting to survive but ultimately giving up in the process. And in some ways they're all representations of him, you right. know, and yeah. like realizing like how... I'll have to see this. Sounds interesting. Oh, The Fall is amazing. It's... Um, it, of of all of Tarsum's movies, it's for me right now. It is still the best. Um, he he's the same guy who did the Cell mm-hmm. and Immortals and Immortals. Yeah, um, yeah. The thing that makes the Fall so amazing is that it was shot in over twenty different countries <clears throat> over um, four years. While he was doing commercial gigs all over the world, he would find these beautiful exotic locations and make sure to film on site. So. I believe everything in there is done through practical. Yeah, almost every single you know, thing. It's, it, it is scouted locations. It is insane. Yeah. It is completely marvelous. Like, and most of them are like it's because most of them are real places. They're not sets. Is it on uh, Netflix? By uh, chance? No, no, um, no. Well, I'll get around to seeing it. Yeah. it sounds cool. But Primer is on Netflix. Yeah, 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 it just Prim- came back. Primer's back. <laughs> yeah, I just put it on my queue. Justin yeah, can watch night. it fifteen hundred times now. Fifteen hundred <laughs> more times. No, no, just fifteen hundred times on repeat. <laughs> yeah. So, Nathan, what is your number two? My number two is the stairs scene from The Protector. So nice, Tony Jaa. Had made a movie called Ong Bak. Mm-hmm. He then his next movie was a movie called I'm The Protector. Uh, which, Give me back my elephants. Yeah, which he's kind of this last of this dying kind of uh, trade in Thailand of people who take care of the royal elephants, and the elephants are taken. 
he goes he finds out where to where who he needs to go see uh when he enters the in most action movies people go up they got something clever to say then they punch somebody this entire scene is nothing clever to say just it's punching in, huh? it's taking no shit from any anyone getting in your way <laughs> and uh it's filmed as a continuous shot for about four and a half minutes it's amazing and, and then and then one. and then there's cuts now there are at least two places where there could be planned cuts. Like they probably just did it like six, four to six takes, you know, all the way through, mm-hmm. and then they designed places where they could cut if they if 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 it came to be. But from what I can tell, there's only like one place that I think they maybe cut, maybe, and that's probably and that's pushing it. Because it really moves in in fluid motion. I I honestly can't remember any cuts in it until like you know the very top. It, of the yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. I, and watching it, I was like, I don't. I see places you could put a cut. Mm-hmm. Like when the when he throws the guy, uh, when he throws the stunt guy down the step, like he's on the, the third floor at this point, throws the guy over and he crashes into this uh, um, gazebo kind of thing that's on the yeah. bottom floor. That's the only place I could that because the camera moves completely over the stairs to get a complete shot of the gazebo. That's the only place I really saw. I was like, that's probably the best place they had to cut Mm. because you had to go through the stunt, and once the stunt was done, then they could uh, then they could cut the movie. So that I absolutely love that scene, but it's such a dumb movie. Well, it's a very simple movie because it's 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 about Tony Jaw being a a badass. I know, I know it is. That it's last fight too. With the... But it's also not really it's not as dumb for people in Thailand because they actually get Apparently the US version has a bunch of shit cut out of it. Okay. Like plot subplot stuff. Apparently the madam is a transsexual in the Thai in the Thai version and everything. Hmm. So the, there's all sorts of and this is this is all you know, American like them changing subtitles and stuff to make the movie more relatable to American audiences. I do like that part at the end too with the fighting, um, breaking all the dudes' arms. Oh legs god, and yeah, and that and... scene too. But like, as far as like a battle, as far as like a a one person taking on a shit ton of people, and this is the first time you really see him unload, like yeah. just unload, and like the he walks into this place, people are like what. Are, some guy bows up to him and just boom, crack, boom, crack, and then he's in and like he goes up five five floors. It's a spiral going yeah, it's a all spiral. the way up. It's awesome. It's like the Guggenheim Museum. It's a spiral going up all the way. But I think it's five floors. Yeah. Uh, and last year in Warren Ellis's Moon Knight uh, run that he did, he did a little six issue run uh, to kind of revitalize the character and give it a new a new sheen so that. They can use the character again. So it just felt really outdated with the stuff they'd done. And uh, uh, they in issue three or four, they do an homage to the Protector. Really? Yeah, it's a total stare battle. It, the whole issue is like him entering this place and having to fight his way to the top to save this person. I but, think I remember that being the first one, you know, the first real movie where I realized, oh, Quentin Tarantino presents means jack shit. 
<laughs> oh, I already knew Quentin Tarantino. Oh, well, Did you yeah. not see those movies in the late 90s? No, I didn't. That were like ultimate bad movies, but like they had great parts in them. No, I, I I didn't see that was the first one where it was just like you know I finally was like oh and you know that's where now you have the yeah. whole distrust of producer you know the producer of such and such and such and such yeah you financed well it. well actually what Quentin Tarantino presents means is he went to a oh, distributor I, and said put this fucking I, movie I know out what, in America I know what it means but I'm just saying but, in general yeah. but I mean but Hero was after that. Or no, it was it was before that. Hero was before that, and I guess that kind of earned a lot of people. Hero was like, was it after Kill Bill, kind of? Yeah, it was after time. Kill Bill. It had already been released in China like mm-hmm. four years before. It was a huge yeah. blockbuster over there. And it's an amazing <clears throat> film. Like, it's one of my favorites. Well, I like Quentin Tarantino. The first time I ever heard of Quentin Tarantino Presents, I think it was Iron Monkey. Uh, there was... There were two, that might be there my were first like, one. I think there were direct-to-video releases, because I remember... Going to like movies, etc. as a kid and renting one of them, and it just being so awful <laughs> that I was just like, "What the fuck is this movie?" And that's before I, I remember when me and Daryl were finally hanging out. And we we kind of started. You got the bad movie appreciation where you watch movies just for to see how bad they could be sometimes, because <laughs> right. you know. Some of them are gold. <laughs> some of them are so bad it's some good. Of the, yeah. Some of them are Pony Boy. Never seen that. Son of a bitch. Yeah. How can you call yourself an Oklahoman? Did uh Oh, I I I don't really call myself an Oklahoman. Did, did Tarantino also hype up uh was it like Twelve Deadly Venoms or the one on Boxer or one of those? Oh, I think all, probably of, those. all of those. Probably just talking every, about every single pretty, one. Pretty much anything Jetly had anything tertiary to do with. <laughs> he tried to get all those movies over here. Five Deadly Venoms. Did I say twelve five Deadly Venoms? That movie's awesome. It's almost like a murder mystery trying to figure out who which of the five deadly venom martial artists is the right one who uh, was like the killer kind of thing yeah yeah but that's my that's my number two is Good the pick. protector the stair scene for the protector so that's my number two hey skylar what is your number two <clears throat> um i guess the uh correct me if i'm mispronouncing it Mis- mispronouncing it. Uh, the Battle of was it Pelennor Fields? I've not seen this. It, it's the big battle in front of Gondor and uh, Lord oh, of the Rings. I'm the worst Lord of the Rings like nerd oh. because <laughs> I have only read The Hobbit and I have watched the three movies. So I, uh, I mean, <laughs> which, which movie was it? Return of the King. Oh, okay, yeah. I think it's Pelennor Fields. I, I think that's how you pronounce it. I might be. I'm probably wrong, but. That was just cool. Uh, up until that point, I haven't really seen you know a humongous CGI battle scene like that. You know, and it was pretty epic, especially when you see the um, you know the humongous elephants coming on the field and and you know I was like, is that the big battle of the movie? Is that it? And then they have another big battle in front of the Black Gate, which was like, whoa, you know. <laughs> but that movie was just one huge battle. You know, builds up to it, yeah. and it was epic. I mean, huge, yeah. big. Wide open, huge battle scene. You know, it's cool. Well, I mean, that for me, it was uh, Helm's Deep was the one that yeah. really, really got me because not only did that have the very claustrophobic, mm, you know, yeah, that was a good one too. It, yeah. it, there was the rain, there was the siege, there was the the Orokai, uh, the Orokai, oh. but yeah. but the, there was yeah. even the you know them ultimately, you know, the one guy exploding the side of the. Um, wall that turned the tide of battle just like oh shit yeah. 
Well, and there was so much lead up yeah. to that battle. And then at that point, you know, Gandalf had only just been revealed to be alive, I think, at that point. Oh, Gandalf the White when yeah. he came back. Yeah. Like, so you still didn't know if Sora, like, if you were not a Lord, if you had not read the books, you did not know if Saruman was going to win the Battle of Helm's Deep or lose the battle. You didn't know who was going to win the battle. Uh, unless you had read the books, like it was, it, it they they did a lot of really good filmmaking in that. But it made me appreciate Weta all their uh, work that they do in computer CGI and stuff. I was real impressed with it, and that was back in what two thousand three something yeah. like that. And there's hopefully after the Hobbit movies, they can still get work. Uh. They're talented people over there. Yeah, their CGI looks really good. I have not heard one person that has said they liked the Hobbit movies. Um, Tom Chick liked uh, the third one. Wow, and that's I, it. I still have not yet. So I've I, you did. Yeah, I enjoyed. You it. did because like See, almost my, every. I just like that universe, and I like how it looks. That, you know, my issue was with it was the um, it wasn't the. It, I'm not a Lord of the Rings fan. I've tried reading the book multiple times. I always get caught up at um, the Council of Elrond. <laughs> and it, mostly it's because of repetition. Like, I know how the fuck Frodo got here. You know, and you know, you get Gimli, or not Gimli, but Gandalf who comes off to the side and says, Hey, Frodo, look, this is what happened with me to get, you know, like, shit went, kind of got real, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> and then he, everybody gets up and says, I am... So and so of so and so, cousin of so and so, and brother of so and so. Cool, cool, cool. And everybody gets up and tells how they got there. Cool. And then Gandalf gets off, gets up and tells how he got there. And then Frodo gets up and tells me how he got there. And I'm like, <laughs> I fucking know this already. <laughs> I, but, but that's just how I. I, I mean, he's I, but, he's mimicking I, epics. How but epics but were I written, but I also so. understand. I understand from a world building, character building perspective that you would want the character to. You know, these other characters do not know that this stuff has happened, so you need to tell them. But as a reader, maybe leave one of those out for me. Yeah. Um, you know, but, the, you know, it's the same thing with 1984. Is they do the same thing with the book at the very end, right before the torture, is they read the same book twice in, like, five pages. It's like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Anyway, with The Hobbit, I haven't read it. But I could feel every single scene they added into. It. Oh yeah, it, you know, you know, every Radagast the Brown scene. Whenever they had Galadriel and Elrond and, and um, Sauron. the liberties taken, you know, and fucking Legolas. Cimmer- Why the fuck is Legolas in those movies? Cimmerillion, all that kind of like Legolas should not be anywhere near a Hobbit movie because he's not supposed to have met any of these people until the Council of Elrond. Yeah, well, there there is um, there is a lot of pandering in it. I, well, I did hear a very stuff. good. I can't remember what it is. It was whenever the middle Middle Earth Shadow of Mordor came out. There was a really good reason, actually, to have a, a that a fan kind of concocted to have Legolas there, um, because there's a whole in, internal conflict with the King of the Elves, whatever, whatever the guy's name is. And a whole internal conflict for him being there. And they were able to externalize that by putting Legolas in the area. Which then gives him a reason to be at this certain area. 
rather than him just show up randomly and be like, hey, you know, hill and well met. Let me kill all these fuckers for you. <laughs> that actually gives you a reason. When I And I'm sure it's out by now because all the Hobbit movie, I'm pretty sure all the Hobbit movies have come out now on DVD. I imagine. Is, I'm sure there is now a fan edit that cuts one down, cuts it down to a two and a half hour movie that's actually good. I just I the biggest criticism I heard of of that one specific of the the trilogy as a whole is that Bilbo goes from being the main character to being like a secondary to tertiary character the whole, oh, yeah. whole time. Definitely does. And like it's Bilbo's ep- it's it's all from his perspective yeah. in the whole the whole thing yeah. in the book, yeah. So it's like it makes sense that sometimes he's on the side on the wall. That makes sense. Because I think that's what they did with the animated movie. They just cut it down to all the scenes where Bilbo is the lead character. You know? Uh, the, that 70s animated movie. Which I love. Oh, that Rankin Bass one? Yeah. Like, I, I, the art is so incredible. And just like how they condense this pretty... It's not a long book, but it's 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 a it's a still pretty hefty. You know, as far as like lang- the language usage and stuff. You know, it's still very high level... Uh, written on a high level, even though it's made a little bit better, more for kids. But right. I'm just like, how can you make <laughs> the Bilbo's journey? But I do agree that Return of the King had some of the had some great battle sequences. But but yeah, Helm's Deep had more story to it in a way because everything in Return of the King is basically payoffs. My mom likes you know? Helm's Deep. Her favorite parts when you know Gandalf comes over the crest of the hill and comes down and then when it shows Gandalf and um um Viggo Mortensen's character fighting or whatever they kind of both wing and laugh at each other while they're chopping heads off <laughs> you know it's like hey buddy you're back yeah let's kill these orcs let's keep chopping and, heads uh, yeah <laughs> that's my number two Return of the King okay so my number two is from a movie <clears throat> called Repo Men Starring Jude Law and Forrest Whitaker. You've talked about this, but I still haven't seen it. Oh, man. I know there's a lot of people who get pissed off because there was Repo, the genetic opera, the inferior version of this thing, but it came out beforehand. There's actually a book called The Repossession Mambo that the guy had like three different versions of the book before Repo, the genetic opera came yeah, out. Yeah, but Repo, the genetic opera, the whole thing came out of a... Uh... An opera workshop initially. Yeah. The the guys who wrote it. Like, so. Yeah, but the, the, the basic idea is that it is a dystopian future where people lease out organs at exorbitant rates, but if somebody's not able to pay, they just send the body to repo the organ. Who cares if it kills you? You've forfeited that by not paying your... You didn't pay your rent. Exactly. <laughs> and so um, the basic crux of Repo Men with Jude Law is that he is a um, repo man who, while trying to harvest an organ, ends up having a couple organs failing himself and it becomes indebted to the corporation. He also um, meets a young lady who has like seven different repo organs, including her eyes. Wow. You know, stuff like that, and kind of becomes the de facto insurgent for all this. Was, did you say men or man, repo man? Repo men. 
Yeah, repo mitten. This came out like what five years ago or something. Uh, it's it was closer like to ten. Two thousand eight. Oh, something yeah. like that. I'm remembering like this barely now. There's it, a lot of movies that you don't care to see, but they kind of interesting the idea. You know? Oh but yeah, and it's really it, good. It failed it's a, at the box office. Yeah, That's it did. Why but you, it's, you it's, kind it's, of remember it happening. Yeah. But. It's it's a lot of fun, um, but. At one point in there, they find out that there's a computer that you that you can basically there's a computer system that you can check in all the repos, and so if you can hack the computer system, you can erase all your repos, thus erase all your debt to the city or to the corporation. Thus, they would no longer hunt you down. So they go to this random place and they walk in, and like they see a room that's just filled with. You know, how thousands of people in in a white room with a small white table that they're working on their genetically modified organs, and they're all in white scrubs. And he, you know, kind of chases one down, enters a hallway, and the song "Burn My Shadow" by Uncle starts to play. Not familiar with that. Song. Oh man, I almost want to turn it on right now while I'm talking about <laughs> this because it is so fucking good. I will probably make that the intro music to the okay. podcast. Um, I like Uncle. That but, song he did with Tom York, "Rabbit in Your Headlights," awesome. Yeah. Um, but so, um, he goes in and he s- starts. You know, basically, there's guards that are attacking them, and he's. You know, beating the shit out of them, you know, killing them pretty effortlessly because he's a pretty skilled repo man. And the song's playing in the background. And then he notices that there's about five or six more repo people that are there in their business suits. Almost like it was a convention or something like that. Or they had just finished turning in all of their organs. Wow. And so he, you know, takes off his leather jacket to reveal a vest that's just filled with knives. And then while this song is playing, that's like a seven minute song to the beat of the song fights these in a small enclosed, almost old boy style hallway um, fights these seven different repo men, you know, stabbing them and then him getting hit and him pulling out an axe at one point and dragging it across the ground to start getting into it or a saw at one point to have a huge fight in this. It is pure awesome. And then there's a twist for how the computer works. And then there's a further twist, and a further—you know—it just kind of keeps layering on for that last like 30 minutes of the movie. It's awesome, totally worth. So it sounds like the last act has a is cool. really good. Yeah. We've talked about how so many movies, the last act is like the thing you're like. To be fair, to be fair, there's a lot of people that would probably say with the la- the very last kind of twist end and all that stuff with the movie that they're just kind of like, or I saw this coming, or whatever. Who cares? It's fun. Yeah. As long as it's good, that you, even if you can predict a good movie, if it does what it does well, yeah, you know. So Nathan, what's your number one? Well, my number one is gonna have to be the opening of Saving Private Ryan. Dang it! Was that yours? Was that your number one? No, so consensus, that's, that's cool. Go ahead. No, consensus. No, no, no. no we, we'll just both talk about okay. what we like about it. So. I, this doesn't happen very often because we're all pretty different people. So it's like for us to have a consensus. It's like, I gonna, yes. I was going to say, it's not mine, but I, I appreciate the both of you. I still like you as people. You may continue. Well, uh, I feel like 
as far as like movies uh, that that are made by Spielberg that actually live up to the hype that they have, I feel like Saving Private Ryan, uh, Schindler's List, uh, to a certain extent, Jurassic, the first Jurassic Park movie. You know, movies that are still very Spielberg, but they don't fall completely into the trap of, you know, of things not really making any sense. <laughs> it's like, what? What? But you, but you, but you like the Spielberg when, ones, or the one shots? No, I, 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 I appreciate him as a filmmaker. Like, I don't, I don't think of him as a... I'm one of those people who I've gotten to the point where I no longer look at him as a shitty filmmaker. <laughs> I look at him as a lazy writer. Well, yeah, Private Ryan. It, it's a good. It's my second favorite war movie. Yeah. But it's got all of the cliches of every bad World War II movie. Yeah. But go ahead. But the opening <laughs> of the movie, for me, the ending is where it kind of misses some steps. The German soldier coming back and him killing uh, people. Yeah. I was like, are you fucking serious? Uh, but the opening is so visceral, it's so intense, it's so exploitative of the violence of war and the gore and the horribleness while still telling a story. You know, I mean, that's one thing you can say about Spielberg. Even when he is at his worst, at least he's still trying to tell his story. You know? When he does things like that, those kind of sets up those kind of shots. He, he's brilliant. You, did you ever see War Horse? No. He, um, that's all World War One. but he does uh, show trench warfare. Uh, I think they're in the Battle of Somme in the British soldiers where they lost like hundreds of thousands of troops. Yeah. But showing, showing him go over the side of the wall and run into no man's land, you know, that kind of stuff. He has a, he has a real passion for that kind of... Uh, Wanting to do that kind of filmmaking, getting in there and showing you what it's like, pretty much, you know, no BS. Well, and also just the technical. There's both a technical achievement to the that opening because things like twenty minutes, right? Yeah, it's like a twenty minute sequence. It's it got hundreds of cuts in it because you're going from different characters to different characters to different characters, watching all sorts of different people die, watching horrible, gory special effects happen over and over and over again. In '98, by the way, 1998. Yeah. And like pre a lot of uh, internet culture, you know, things that have happened since. I think it was the first then. movie where I saw shaky cam imitating somebody running that, that yeah. I can remember. Well, and sometimes, yeah, the camera acting like it's another soldier behind, yeah, behind the person following them instead of, oh like gosh. it's it's very much like there's very few moments where it's completely outside of some of someone in the battle's view. Because you get the the shots from the turrets, you get mm-hmm. that are supposed to be the German soldiers' perspective. You get the shots on the beach where someone, you, where you think it's not, but then you realize that someone has already been shot. Who's like, you know, twitching in the mud because you get a shot of someone else walking over where you just saw the shot coming from. And there's just there's a lot there's very few moments where it's God's eye view. It's very much in the shit, you know. Yeah. And instead of trying to take this omniscient perspective, like The Longest Day or a, <laughs> a lot of old World War II movies, Torah, 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 you know, like a lot exactly. of the, and, but getting deep into it, kind of taking that Vietnam perspective of like, you got to get in to it. You got to, you got to be in the motion of the action 
and to provide the storytelling, you know, to get to get the grittiness. And the fact that there were, that it made soldiers who were there not watch the movie. I saw it. I was four. I was counting. It came out in 98, so I was like 14. Um, I went with my dad to go see it. It was packed. I had to sit a couple rows away from him because we couldn't get seats hardly. I sat next to an old guy who maybe was there. I don't know. But um, uh, but people uh, only being in their 60s or 70s who had, were there. I, uh, I grew up watching... Those old war, I loved war. I love war movies, and I was used to Platoon and Apocalypse Now and all those. So I had never seen a war movie show you every soldier can die. You don't these guys. You don't even get to watch, be with them throughout the whole movie and learn where they're from. You know, kind of thing. Like the the uh, landing ship opens the door, boom, they all fall down like dominoes. It's just <laughs> people just yeah. never. Thought you see a guy get shot through the helmet, point blank in the front, and die, you know, and yeah. see or one it. guy get shot in the helmet. He's still alive. Pull his helmet out. Get shot. <laughs> Guys drown from yeah. their weight of their gear drowning because they're because they've been shot and, and they couldn't even get swim out and yeah, yeah. Like, it, it was. I've seen the opening of Saving Private Ryan. I don't remember Dick else about the movie. I uh, well, and I feel like. The movie itself suffers from a lot of problems. Spielbergianisms, uh, to a certain, because that's the beginning. That's the right. true. That's kind of that era of when he starts to go down the path of re revisioning history, of revisioning things. Where Schindler's List is so fucking brutal, right? And so intense, and so in your face, and so just like motherfucker, like this is how terrible we can be. Do you think that's his best film? I, I think it's his masterpiece. I think his if there's a masterpiece that he made, I mean, it's probably that. Mm-hmm. And then maybe Close Encounters. I haven't seen Jaws in so long that I can't. I know for some people, it's it's the Spielberg masterpiece, but it's kind of incidental because it was literally <laughs> the fucking shark didn't work, or we would have, or we would have seen it all through the fucking movie. Yeah, I mean, well, that you know, well, then that's the same thing with the music for Jaws. Is they played it for me? He goes, no, seriously, what, what are you? What's the theme? That's it. <laughs> are, are you, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, really? This is the theme. Yeah, it works perfectly, <laughs> and it mm-hmm. does. And I mean, it, you know. It's the opening to a Dvorak movement in the New World Symphony, but it's also, you know, a great... Taken out of the context and put in the context of Jaws, that's a great musical idea. Like, it totally... It's a, it's the idea of a leitmotif. All you need to do is hear the music. The build-up. You've never seen the movie, but in our culture... Yeah. Da-da, da-da... <laughs> Da, 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 da. Everyone knows da, da, da. automatically, like you know it because it's in our culture, you know, well, I mean, so I pervasively. Mean, that, that's like the Terminator thing, yeah. it's all that stuff. Da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Private but Ryan, good, good choice. But uh, as far as like the opening makes the movie instead of the movie making the opening even that much more impactful. And I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. No. <laughs> no, but the opening is such... 
It's it's the it's visceral. It's before we don't get Catherine Bigelow doing what she's done, right? Without Spielberg going, no, this is this is it. Without Terrence Malick going, this is it. You got to you got to show them. Yeah, you can't just show guys miraculously dodging bullets. You got to show people die. Yeah, Every, there has to be consequences. And too. you know they were on Omaha Beach. Uh, some soldiers landed on other beaches where they weren't shot at as bad as those guys were and he shows you the first wave of guys coming on the beach and those guys i know when they invaded normandy a huge percentage of them have never been in combat they weren't veterans from like africa and italy they were straight out of camp pretty much thinking about it just gives me chills shitting themselves on the fucking boats going over i mean yeah it's a i mean that just sounds like a good day to me i mean i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> well and that's the thing is like the longest day which is about the kind of the same pretty much the same but it's the whole movie it's just the open it's the, it's the <laughs> fucking battle for it's all the day the whole movie is D-Day. yeah <laughs> it's, uh but uh but the fact and also that now we know in history if there had been if the planes had that drop bombs hadn't been off course and been off and been off there wouldn't have been an Omaha Beach battle, it would have been cleanup. Yeah, they weren't supposed to walk into death. Like that's what makes it even worse. And hearing veterans talk about it, who were there, who survived, yeah. and they 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 went through it. I respect that generation. It's a uh, it's hell. You're like that's the last time you. Can, now we have all this unmanned shit and all this like no consequences we can be in other people's countries bombing them with unmanned drones no consequences nobody dies but the people on the other side but the enemy quote unquote the that that kind of movie that kind of generation that from world war two from world war one all the way through vietnam you know when they were in war it was blood and it was guts. They saw each other. You they know. were there. Yeah. You're two opposing forces going head to head. You were humans. They were there. Killing each other in huge numbers. They were there. horrible things. To take each other out. Take out that enemy. Because they absolutely had to. They had to. And the majority of those people who went And on the other side it was the same thing. You yeah. had to kill. Yeah. So it's like... Hmm. But that that... That movie, growing up in the military, having a father who loves military history and shit, for me, like, that opening t- did leave an impression on me. It just shows you that, like, it's not all heroics, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No Sometimes John, it's no just John doing Wayne's. your job yeah. and hoping you live long enough to keep, keep doing your job. Like the Giovanni Real BC character in that movie. When he died, the movie was over for me. Like, I was like, when he died, and he's like... Wait a minute, he dies? <laughs> that that was... 17 a, years when he, When he dies, yeah. that scene was pretty realistic looking, yeah, too. I mean, it was straight up. And when he's like, oh, God. The, my liver. My, my liver. liver. I'm hitting the liver. And you're like, oh, fuck. Like, like, my favorite character's gonna die. <laughs> they haven't even found him yet. <laughs> and they didn't even have to do that part in the movie the battle but tom hanks his character is like we're gonna go fight that little bunker right there and they're all like why we can just walk around it and then tom hanks has to deal with the uh, emotional weight of losing another one of his boys you know yeah and tom hanks is great in that movie 
But it's it's also even though there are problems with the movie, it's still a movie that is worth watching. You oh, know. Yeah. Like it's one of those things you have to go into it knowing what you're getting. You know, at this point you should be able to like look up a f- review or a Rotten Tomatoes and know what you're getting. You know. I don't think a war movie since to me has come out that had that kind of emotional 20 minute impact of yeah. a battle. Yeah, I, when I th- the only movie after is really Black Hawk Down. That oh, has yeah. like that visceral of a yeah. battle, you know. Like I don't, the other thing too that keeps me really involved in Private Ryan is the uh, time period and the technology they had to fight with, you know. Yeah. Like, okay, in the the last battle of the movie, when all those uh, paratroopers are getting on top of that German tank to, uh, you know, break it down, drop some grenades inside, kill the tank drivers, those uh, Germans kind of sneak around the corner, and they have a, a, a weapon called a 50 millimeter, and it's shooting out huge slugs, and those paratroopers just fall apart to pieces. And yeah. That... that I was watching. I'm like, I've never seen a war movie look like that before in my yeah. life. Well, those 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 cannon, though. I mean, they were cannons. You know, mm-hmm. they were they were that midpoint between the like it's just an armored gun and a and a and a full on, you know, cannon. You know, where you have the giant artillery guns. It's that midpoint between where you can just set it up and just. Plow people down, but uh, so Justin, what's your number one? <laughs> well, do I have a number one anymore? I, I mean, that, I, that, that was, that <laughs> pretty, was pretty, pretty comprehensive <laughs> right there. I mean, um, probably well, it was probably like a 20 minute segment. <laughs> I can give you one if you want. <laughs> no, I, I've got one. Um, it actually is kind of similar to Repo Men, so apparently, I just really like this. It's from, it's from this little known movie called Equilibrium. Oh, that's a good. Speaking of good, bad movies. Yeah, well, it's one of the best bad movies I've ever seen. But I love Kurt Wimmer so much. Well, but the color, like, it's. I mean, it literally is. What if the Matrix met Fahrenheit four fifty one? It's actually what if the uh, the Matrix hit was THX eleven thirty eight. Yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> Because the pills is more Brave New World, THX. Yeah, refresh me on this movie. I kind of forgot. They are, you know, burning. They're doing the Fahrenheit 451 thing of burning everything down. So it's just basically an amalgamation of every every dystopia. Yeah. Yeah. What was your refresh me on this movie? I'm Uh, remembering the name. It is uh, Christian Bale as um, Grand Cleric. They um, they are, you know, basically they have this. martial arts called gun kata which has analyzed so the trajectory amazing. of every bullet so they have created the perfect fighting form so that it, they will never get hit it's it's fighting forms for for small arms combat yeah where instead of jumping like you saw in every 90s action movie jumping to the side and firing to the side it's no precision aimed you can do both guns at once always and you find the perfect everything is either a kill shot or an, or a significant injury 
It's like and everything is aiming for head, solar plexus, shoulders, or th- or hips. But you're also wow. able to dodge bullets as they come to you because you know the trajectories that other people are most likely to shoot at you. And it's also worked into a martial arts that he developed in his backyard. The only issue with the, mar- the gun kata is that he wanted something more fluid and instead got a karate choreographer so it was very staccato movements you know very but but visually i feel like i know fluid would work better as as an actual art form right more like wing chun right uh, which if you're not familiar with wing chun uh listeners imagine someone uh holding one palm down and one palm four uh, up and and they're and they're out in front Usually the palm facing up is forward and everything moves in circular motion. So the palm that's down comes up in a fist while the other one comes back and in, back into a fist. Right. So it's all it's all very fluid and it's all moving in circles. You can move and dodge in all circles. I'm trying to think of a Jet Li movie that uses it really well, but I can't really think of one right off the top right. of my head. So essentially the idea of equilibrium is that they have this entire society that has destroyed art and any forms of... Um, poetry, music, poetry, yeah. painting, um, and they suppress it with this drug. Right. So, um, Christian Bale is the lead character. His partner is Sean Bean, and he finds out that Sean Bean has been smuggling books and poetry and stuff like that, and reading it, hmm. and has become a sense offender. And essentially. Christian Bale becomes a sense offender in the story and then joins the resistance only to sort of give them up. But in reality, he's helping the resistance and it's super conflicted and there's a cute puppy and there's a great scene where he kills a bunch of people while saving a puppy. Um, and his children. Or... Yeah, and so the whole thing is him trying to... Well, he doesn't to, kill his children. Trying to, get, trying to get to the head of um, the organization so he can kill them. So there's this great scene where he has orchestrated it so that his new partner, played by Tay Diggs, who, even though they're in an emotionalist society, cannot stop fucking smiling every half second. Tay Diggs. Yeah. Tay Diggs. The entire movie, he's just smiling the whole time like, oh, I'm great at, I have no emotion and I can sense emotion before other people can smell emotion. Smile, 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 bling, smile. You know, it's just the entire time like, you know. You can... You can tell that that was like a producer's decision, not the director's decision. Someone was like, <sighs> "Let Tay Diggs smile." No, I didn't he'll think. sell more tickets if he smiles. Fine, yeah, <laughs> fine. So he's orchestrated this whole thing, switched out his gun so that it shows that Tay Diggs is the person who killed all these people in the middle of the Narrows or whatever yeah. it's called. And then, <laughs> good job. Yeah, and then he um, reference. Or- <laughs> he orchestrates it so that he gets to meet the um, the leader of their organization, and so he's who's kind of this all father kind of character. Right. Like, so he he gets dressed in this like white ceremonial jacket as opposed to his black jacket. He shows up with a sword, and he has to turn in his sword as part of the thing. And they hook him up to a lie detector test, and the guy goes, and the first question is just. Um, how do you get a weapon from a tetratron or tetragrammaton or whatever it is? And Tay Diggs just leans in right next to his face and says, you ask him for it. And so it's like, just reveals that he's been orchestrated this entire thing. He's hooked to this, um, 
to a um, heartbeat monitor, lie detector yeah. test, and it's you know scouting, you know, and he's just losing it, lo- you know, just anger boiling up, all boiling up, and then at one point, the line goes flat, and the guy, the minister, goes, "Oh shit," you know, and then <laughs> he just proceeds to kill every single person in the fucking building. Because he's the greatest. Yeah, cleric he's the, he's the best cleric ever, and you know has this whole big shootout where he's shooting all these people, throwing the um, the magazines, which actually sit up straight, shooting all the people, emptying his magazines, hitting them down, continuing forward. Yeah. And then at the end of it all, like shoots the thing, you know, or actually before this, before that big battle is shoots the glasses. Oh, I'm coming for you! Shoots it, comes after the guy. Then he fights Tay Diggs. And Tay Diggs is just like, oh yeah, I'm the best, da 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 da. And they go for one swipe, killed instantly. Head falls off. You know, our face just completely slides out. Like, it is so just perfect. <laughs> like, this has been built up with this entire movie, you know, as much as he should have been caught within five seconds because, you know, everybody's walking and everybody's very orderly and everything. And he's just booking it down the streets, you know, yelling at people and all this stuff. And it's just like, dude. Calm your shit down. <laughs> but it, but can you imagine what it would have been to have been... Imagine you're 30 years old. Right. You have never felt anything. Like, in extremes. Right. And the moment you're completely clean of all these drugs and you decide you're taken down, imagine how radically... <laughs> Your your emotions are gonna be off the charts all the time. The oh yeah, because you you're basically functionally a child. You never learned how to deal with highs and lows. Well, his his, his children are actually more adults than him because they've been sneaking their pills pills for years, and they're just like, like dad, calm your shit down. Be more subtle, dad. Doesn't he say him? <laughs> Don't you need to be more subtle? And he shows that he hasn't been. It, it's so, something, something like, like that. that yeah. Just like, dude. But the opening scene of the movie also is incredible because the way it introduces the gun kata, you don't see it. It's yeah, all it's, black. It's, he, it's in black. He kicks in the door. He slides in on the door. It's you see muzzle flash, muzzle flash, muzzle flash, muzzle flash, muzzle flash, muzzle flash. Everybody's dead. <laughs> you don't see it at first, and so you're like, "What the fuck just happened? Like, what the fuck did I not see?" And they, because they build it up that way, when you finally see it, I don't hate the like the car, the karate fits the this kind of it, it, extremes. He, it that you it need, made it work. You know? like he definitely made it work. Um, Ultraviolet is where he tried to make it what he wanted it to be, and the studio with that one just kind of went. Fuck you, Kurt Wimmer. We're taking this one over. It really surprises me that after that movie came out, that more movies did not do gun, not not explicitly gun cutted, but more of that style. Right. Because I think you're looking in the wrong places. This comes to mind right now: Bayonetta and Bayonetta oh, oh, Two. Yeah, well, yeah. Bayonetta Two, Platinum Games, Bayonetta Two. Well, I'm oh, just I'm just thinking like oh, in I mean, film, in film, like, yeah, 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 like in movies, like like you don't see a lot of even martial artists using their guns in the ways martial artists would probably use their guns. Right. Like, being able to... uh, I'm trying to think. I remember uh, there's a fan film for Nightwing. The guy in that plays Deathstroke in there, the first time you see him, 
it's kick, punch, fight, shoot, kick, punch, fight, shoot. It's straight up gun kata. Nice. It's the first time I've seen gun kata. Like, duh, Deathstroke would use gun kata. No shit. That would, <laughs> duh. That makes fucking perfect sense. It's all kill. Yeah. Deathstroke is all kill. There's no injure to, an, a, a, to a violent, completely crazed assassin. Yeah, it's all kill. There's no, there's no, I, I hesitate. No, there's no hesitation. And like, even though the gunfire's all done digitally, you know, and shit, but like, yeah. that's one of those few times that I was like, that's how, that's how if you were a trained martial artist and a, and a gunfighter and you had automatic weapons, that's how you'd fight. Right. Because Me- you can sweep, you can turn at any corner, you can shoot behind you without having to aim. Right. <laughs> well, you're not wasting your own time either, right? Yeah. Because that kind of makes me think about how Taken, the first one's really good. It gets to the point, and he doesn't really sit there and have a huge shootout. He's like, okay, I can kill these guys really quick and be on and my the way. the ones that I have to fight, I'll fight. You and know, like but... John Wick did it too. He's like, okay, I, I'm going to have to kill these guys. But he does, and he just keeps going. This sounds like kind of like that. I like, I like that. Yeah, equi- equilibrium is awesome. Yeah. But it does remind me of Bayonetta. Right. But she mixes uh, witch. Is that a video game? Or? Yeah. Yeah. She has guns on her heels for her boots. It's uh, Sarah Palin, um, <laughs> but her entire suit is made out of her hair. Oh, oh yeah. It transforms into different things. Interesting. So, so it's kind witch, of a witch power. Each of the killer with guns? Kind of, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, kind of add in a dash of Sailor Moon. Oh, okay. Like, you know. So definitely the it's Japanese trans- manga influence. Oh, and- definitely, and, and lots of ass shots, you know, stuff like that. Oh, but she's like no. in charge. No of exploitation. Her, uh, oh, no. There's no sexual, you know, exploitation. It, it is. There. It looks like that, but she's pretty much in control of everything, right? I mean, it. I, I the game. You know, Scarlett Johansson's in control most of the time, but you definitely get a lot of ass shots. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, what do we have for runners up? Uh, oh, well, no, well, actually, actually, what, what are actually, our what user we submissions? Need, yeah. User submissions. Well, I don't... Uh, user submissions? Whatever. Yeah. Reader, our readers. Our readers. <laughs> our listeners slash readers. So, uh, first one is... Uh, Chelsea McGrath says, number three, Hong Kong Brawl, Pacific Rim. Nice. Mm. Uh, Battle to Save New York, The Avengers. Okay. And Black Hawk Down, all of it. So also another war. Help. Yeah, it was one big battle, wasn't it? The whole See, movie. I, I, yeah. And I, I really did. There's a lot of things I like about Pacific Rim. There's also a lot of things that drive me up the fucking. Wall. The Hong Kong battle, though. That's pretty good. That's pretty. The Hong Kong battle and the where you actually see her memories. I yeah. can't remember the character's name. Oh, Yoko or whatever. Uh, yeah, I'm trying. To... Oh, and she's a little girl. Yeah, where well, you see her as a little girl. My favorite. I, that's my favorite. I was like, I remember this that could have been the whole lot. movie. I was like this, and the Hong Kong battle, and the very um, beginning. Mako Mori is her Mako name. Mori, Mako Mori. Because there's a now a new um, feminist test for films. The Mako Mori test. Yes, <laughs> because it doesn't quite hit the Bechdel test, but it's. She has agency the whole movie, and uh, um, let me let it's me. It's not just a romantic subplot. Yeah, let me pull up what the Mako Mori test is. Speaking um, of. Uh, that actress, I don't know if I'm making this up or she, if I heard it. I think she it. won an Academy Award before. Babel. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, are they doing a live action Ghost in the Shell? And I thought it was I heard Scarlett her, Johansson. Oh, I thought, I thought it was 
heard. I like Scarlet. I like Scarlet, but Jesus Christ just said no. Okay, so um, real quick, the Bechdel test is two female, two named female characters who talk to each other about something other than a man. Yeah, that's all. Is, that's all you need to pass. Which is way too. Which which is so simple. It's ridiculous the number of movies that fail that take place in modern day that fail. Technically, <laughs> I would say that even wow. still, Fury Road would fail. Just because we don't know a lot of the characters' names. But we know at least five or six of the characters' names that are women. I was going to say, most of those come from after the movie's over and you see Well, the no, no. The, you see, you learn two of the grandmother's names. Four of the grandmothers don't even have names in the movie. <laughs> like, they're literally the old, the old ladies or whatever. And right. And it gives you... But they had names, and I heard the names... Uh, Imperator Furiosa. Right. Uh, two of the wives had names, and I heard them. Um, one of them, I can't remember what the the lead one was. Yeah. Anyway, um, but the Mako Mori test is passed if there's at least one female character who gets her own narrative arc that is not about supporting a man's story. Yeah, which is sad. The number of movies that may, that take place in modern times. Historical dramas, I'm not as much worried about. Like, I know a lot of people are, but I'm like, yeah, but tell those stories. Right. Like, there's still, there's still those stories to tell, so why aren't we writing those scripts to tell those stories if, you know? So you said a female character in a movie that has her own subplot, but it doesn't involve her helping a guy. Is that well, what you it just doesn't... Said? Her, her narrative is not bound by a uh, man. It's not oh, making a man. man. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, okay. It's not... It's not Bound as being the love interest, bound as being uh, uh, whatever you know, the mother, the you know, whatever typical oh, tropes even, you even get. love interest. Stuff. Yeah, oh. yeah. So it's like where they're an equal to the to the per, to the man narratively, and they have their own story. There's Bad. a lot of movies, <laughs> so uh, so every Angelina Jolie movie that she's in is probably. It's that one. Uh, so, so, as we were saying. Uh, then Jeff Strait has Battle to Retake Deep Space Nine, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Season 6, Episode 2, which okay. is a great, uh, if you've never checked out uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, uh, Gene Roddenberry hated it because it actually dealt with military, but he hated most of everything that he did not have total creative control over. It's my over. favorite Star Trek series. Yeah. Uh, the more I think about it, you know, in the whatever gross tinted glasses or whatever, I think... Honestly, Deep Space Nine is mine more than Next Generation yeah. or any other one is. Well, and also, I mean, as far as, like, generation, like, we grew up. It was 1992 when Star Trek Deep Nine started, so it's, like, well into generations. It premieres. Uh, like, I remember watching, like, videotaping it off of uh, TV, you know. <laughs> Any kids know about that? I don't know what those words mean. Watching the back back when they used to make movies to be the pilots. Back when they still used made ninety minute movies as the pilots for TV shows. Yep, yep, yep. Which now it's become the finales are ninety minutes long. Yeah, total weird. Uh, But um, Ash versus the Army of the Dead in Army of Darkness and number as is number two, uh, number one airplane graveyard. Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Men. <laughs> I need to see that one. I've heard a lot of good things. I have, I have not seen it, seen it at all. Uh, runners up: Indoor Space Battle, Return of the Jedi, second Return of the Jedi, last big fight in Zulu. Yes, that's a 
Yeah. Oh, I always forget about that movie because it's so fucking racist. <laughs> I've seen it. It's hard to watch, but it's a good yeah, movie. And, like, and Michael Caine is amazing in that movie. There's a lot of really great British actors in that movie. That movie's so bloody racist. Um, Doc Battle in Matrix Revolutions and Every Fight in Starship Troopers. I would say if there was... Any fight. It's in the book of Starship Troopers. <laughs> it's in the furry opening book of Starship Troopers. Uh, uh, and if I can actually remember where I... Uh, there it is. All right. And then our fellow uh, cohort in dubious consumer land, uh, Daryl Van Ostern. His picks... He doesn't have which ones uh, are one, two, and three. But <laughs> I, go, I will go with number three. This one is number three because... We put, took it off the table last last time, and he forgot about it. Heat, downtown shootout. Uh, Gangs of New York, opening battle. I, I could totally see that. Uh, Dave would go for that one. Right. And, yeah. and honest, that was um, one of my runners-up, was because that one, just the uh, crazy like dream logic that goes with that. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah, Gangs of New York. Yeah. And then Enemy at the Gates, battle for Stalingrad. Right, and that that one's a really good one with them, yeah. you know, shouting in the background, you know, the whole, you know, if you run, we'll shoot you. you yeah. Know, you're branded a deserter. What's even more fucked up is when you know history is like at that point, at that point, as it got closer to 1945, when they just started opening up the insane asylums. Yeah. In, in Russia, because they didn't care. There's so many of their soldiers were dead and. They'd burn their own land to stop the Nazis, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, it was such a... It was at the tail end of a terrible war. <laughs> and... But... So runners up. What do we have for runners up, Nathan? Um, my one and only runners up, runner up that I put in here, it's just because I, I love this movie. I, I looked it up on Rotten Tomatoes. I think it has a 27. It is <laughs> Suey Hark's... Zoo Warriors or Legend of Zoo Warriors. Uh, it's on Netflix right now. You can watch it. Uh, Is that ZU? ZU. It's uh, it's you know basically Chinese mythology. Uh, it's because Dragon Ball Z had happened at this point. You can tell the influence of that kind of Japanese big god-like battling had already happened so he's kind of taken that and he did a he did a, a movie before this called the legend of of zoo mountain zoo warriors the legend of zoo mountain which isn't as good because that has really cheap 80s special effects um but this movie is the beginning of cgi it's 2001 it's a hong kong action film technically uh it's the colors in it are great the the computer animation even when it's bad and looks like a video game it still holds up because they're because i mean they make 300 million dollar movies that still look like video games right you know so i mean like if you if 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 they can get a pass and as much as i love avengers age ultron there were definitely some moments that i was like this looks like a video game you know <laughs> like i love that i'm getting to see it but you know this kind of looks a little video gamey, just video gamey. Like it's like not done in a necessarily cinematic way every time. Right. But uh, this 
specifically, there's a battle sequence in the mi- in the middle part of the movie where the lady who has the lightning sword is fighting all these demon characters who have these swords that are shaped like human spines with blades on them. As you do. And in the animation, they can move them and they can move like whips. And they had practical ones that you see in some of the shots that still look badass. So, uh, but my favorite thing in the movie is the special effects for the winged character, Hawk. I hope that Brian Singer has watched this movie just for this effect. Because when I saw this, I was like, that's Archangel. That's how Archangel's wings operate. They can move in spirals. They can uh, they can move be thrown like a whip. They can be moved like a propeller. They can also throw the the metal darts. You know, so you have all these different, and you see all the different aspects in this iron winged hawk character. But uh, it's definitely a movie visually. The dub is kind of bad. That's on Netflix. <laughs> as most dub movies are, but it's just to watch it for the visuals. Uh, it's amazing. Okay. Scott? Uh, <clears throat> since me and Nathan's number ones were kind of combined, I, uh, I was thinking earlier, like, well, I have another movie just in case someone drops Saving Private Ryan. So, uh, one of my runners up is, uh, the final battle with the villagers and the bandits in Seven Samurai. The village battle, that whole entire thing is awesome. Inspired so many Western battles. Yeah. (laughs) And just how, uh, you know, you really care about those villagers and how they're all really stepping up to defend themselves. And, uh, you know, the the bandits just keep coming in waves and they, you know, let a few in at a time. And that kind of... in parallel with 13 Assassins when they have that whole battle in that village at the end of that one. Too. I need to see that. Is, is is 13 Assassins really good? Yeah, I like it. Uh, the It's worth it just to see that final battle. And, you know, it's on Netflix too, I think. Yeah. And uh, that one's cool. Uh, let me see what else. Uh, the final battle in Platoon uh, when they yeah are in that valley kind of area and they all Jesus. got their own foxholes everywhere and it's confusing the enemies in uh in the in the line you know Dale die uh playing a captain and he's like drop it on me just drop it on us you know drop that nape right on us we got him in the wire you know and uh the director um Oliver Stone said that was based off a real battle he was in and um thousands of vc uh fought and this was before tet happened in 68 and everyone was kind of like forgotten about that battle but he met the veterans like was that did we actually fight in a battle like that and he goes yeah we did i remember that um and then there's a shoot 'em up video game i like called ikaruga and uh you're pretty much a ship going to take on this um force and it's all one it's like five stages but it's all one big battle and uh I don't know. <laughs> Ikaruga, it's a really cool shooting game. You have uh, polarities, black and white. So if they're shooting bullets at you in black, you can switch to black and absorb them and then turn back and shoot them in white polarity and take more damage on them. Interesting. Y- yeah. Well, as far as like a video game engine thing, that's a really interesting... Yeah, and it, it's a battle. You're battling. A lot of those shooting games are battles anyway, kind of. Old shoot 'em ups, but well, I remember there's a there was a game that came out recently on 360, like maybe four or five years ago, 
that was a platformer that included that, where there'd be red and blue yeah. um, pellets coming at you, and you could switch between them and not get hit by one of them. Yeah. So you'd have to switch on the fly. And that's that was like uh, made by a developer called Treasure, who used to be a bunch of ex-Konami employees. And it's kind of like their masterpiece, and it gets put down, usually number one pick on a lot of top ten shoot-em-up shmups list you know right there's a website called the shmups forum and those guys uh they're all about shooting games on there on the internet and, and i don't know why i've been becoming addicting to shoot 'em ups they're uh aggression getting it getting out your aggressions yeah. man and it's about having the skill but also like the finesse to just kind of dodge the bullets one hit you're dead it's not like call of duty those are first person shooters but here you're a little spaceship either vertically or horizontally dodging millions of bullets and it's almost like i don't know ballet moving through it so we mentioned uh gangs in new york yeah so obviously that opening battle the other one for me would be the lego movie (laughs) and it would be specifically be taco tuesday yeah Um, taco tuesday was awesome you know and what makes that one so great is not only is emmett pushed out into the real world. And so he has that going on. But everybody else is fighting. You even get uh, Spaceman finally able to make his spaceship. Yeah. Played to perfection by Charlie Day, who out there the entire time just wants to make his spaceship. And they keep (laughs) shooting him down. And at one point he says, oh, we need to make a spaceship. And... Oh, cool! I gotta make a spaceship! And he starts making, you know, his cool spaceship. He goes, like, everybody else's. Oh, so you, you don't need this really cool spaceship that I just been building? Oh, no, sorry, man. Maybe next time. Oh, you're really pulling the wind out of my, you know, sails or whatever, and then <laughs> breaks it apart. And then later, as round Taco Tuesday, they go. He goes, "Well, I could make a spaceship." And they go, "Yeah, sure." Wait, wait. You're not gonna stop me from making a spaceship? No, no. Just uh, okay. Spaceship! Yeah. Spaceship! Spaceship! Yeah. It is amazing. And everybody gets that. And then you get Emmett coming back. And he has become the one. He is a master builder. He is Neo. And including (laughs) with him being like rocketed down into the real world, hitting and giant, giant, you know, waves. Yeah, the waves. (laughs) Waves of, you know, dust everywhere. And everything's just pushed back from him. And he's pulling everything together. And he's a badass beating everything down. And then he gets overwhelmed. And then uh, Unicorn Kitty ends up finally breaking down and be just getting angry <laughs> and starts attacking everybody. It is so good. Yeah. Like, the Lego I'll, movie. <sighs> I honestly just was kind of, eh, the first time I saw it. But I've now seen it like a dozen times thanks to the wonder that is a two-year-old. <laughs> and the more I watch it, the more I enjoy it. Man, the, we had put it off until we finally, the kid been on, on DVD and... We decided to just get it, just yeah. buy it. Like we'd heard enough people liked it. I was like, "We'll probably like it." We watched it the first time. We were like, "This is the best." Like, I mean, literally, this movie should have just been a glorified Lego ad. Yeah, yeah. That's all it should have been. And instead of doing what Transformers does and just be a glorified toy commercial, yeah, they turned it into like a story that had like depth mm-hmm. and even. Even though they're borrowing from lots of sources, because really good mythical movies right, telling should borrow from great <laughs> movies, but like the fact that they did it in a way that while you're watching it, your like little internal critic is off. 
Like, <laughs> you're just like along for the ride, just going, holy shit, how much more crap than they, can they cram in this movie? Right. Like, <laughs> you're just, ah, oh, so amazing. And just everything is awesome. You know, the most annoying song that you love by the end of the movie. Yeah. You know, and such a satire of like American culture well, and, and, and everything. You know, and yeah, just, and, and, they're, and they're very blatant about that up front. And then it just kind of, you know, and it, you know, the, the, that the ultimate way for them to defeat the ultra, ultra mega evil corp <laughs> is to conform. Yeah. Like, we haven't been able to defeat it. We've lost hundreds of people. Well, why don't you follow the instructions? Ugh. <laughs> that will work. That movie reminded me of my childhood. I played with Legos a lot. Oh, yeah. So did I. But I had like a bin that came down from Cousins that just had a bunch of fucking random Legos. And I had like a gray sheet. And I could just build whatever the fuck I wanted on it. And no, there was no kits. There wasn't as many kits back then. And like, well, when you I mean, get a kit, you get frustrated because you just couldn't make it how you wanted. You and, get the Lego set and you don't follow the instructions and they all just end up getting put into the same bucket. Yeah. And your parents you step on more them. cool parts to yeah. mess with. Your parents yell at you because they step on one at night and they're like, oh, they hurt. <laughs> See, when we were talking about Return of the Jedi earlier, what I used to do is make my own spaceships. They get shot. I throw them at the wall so they'd explode. <laughs> I know I'm not the only kid that probably did that. Everything circle. Yeah. yeah. Every conversation is circular. <laughs> so, now that we've got our runners up out of the way, uh, Nathan, what is going to be our topic for next Nerdatois? Uh, I've been thinking about this. I want to do best movie either... Then I'll say this: either inspired by a true story or a true story movie, where it's like it's pretty accurate. Biopic. How about I put it? It can include three, bio three best true story. Movies. Yeah, true story movies. So it can include biopics. It can include uh, inspired by real events, and it can include. Uh, uh, rip from the headlines kind of movies. So, like, if you want to do uh, just no Law and Order episodes, <laughs> <laughs> Law and Order episodes are off the table, guys and gals. No law and, and this order. is my wife's favorite show. I feel like since we got documentaries out of the way, now we can explore fictional interpretations of. Okay. Of real events. Okay. So, um, you guys should check back with us in two weeks for our three best true story movies, no Law and Order episodes, <laughs> um, edition. So, um, Nathan, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on Facebook under the Dubious Consumers Podcast. They can also find me on Twitter at... Nate Wad Neutron. They can also find me on Tumblr at Nate Wad. Skylar, can people find you on the internet? Not really. Okay, cool, cool. Um, He's kind of internetless well, in his know, presence. That's probably a better way to be. I mean, you, you know. probably get more shit done. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm on Instagram. It's eat dogs, lowercase, all one word. Which, which but, you, but you have to approve people to be able to see you. Yeah. So. Yep. Yep. So he, he will be. 
So you have to actually like private message him like, hey, I'm a dubious consumers fan. And, and then, then he'll, he'll probably run away. Yeah, and then he'll be like, ah, oh, you're fans. No, you're a cop. But if he does <laughs> but if he does allow you in, you get to see some of the sketches and doodles and art he's been he's been doing. So he likes to share his process. Yes. I need to be better about sharing my process. We all just need to better be better about sharing our process. I figured I'd just start doing, you know, just Full nude images on my Instagram all the time. Yeah, yeah that'll get you. That'll, <laughs> that'll get you off Instagram real quick. Well, Break the internet, Justin. There we go. <laughs> uh, so you can find me at justindheard.com, justindheard.net, at justindheard on Twitter, at Dubious Consumer, real Justin D. Heard on Facebook, Justin D. Heard author somewhere. Fuck, I don't remember. But Pinterest, you can find me, Justin D. Heard. I'm on Google Plus, at Justin D. Heard. I think that's where I'm Justin D. Heard author as well. <laughs> um, yeah, I, that's all I've got right now, guys. Vintage Stock um, and Edmund, he works there too. I'm at Vintage Stock and Edmund. Um, my book, Of Gods and Madness, The Faithful, comes out July 21st. Which, so, uh, if, if anything, it's three ninety nine digitally. I'm pretty sure most people can spend four bucks if they have an e-reader. Yeah, come on, guys. I mean, come on. But um, you can pre-order that right now. Um, the the print version of the book will be coming out soon. I believe that is going to be twelve ninety nine. And if you buy the print book, you will also get the ebook included. Woo! Yeah. Like, uh, like if you buy some people's vinyl, you get the CD and/or a digital copy for free. Mm-hmm. Or a lot of video games nowadays. If you buy the PS4 version, you get the Vita version or the PS3 version included. Yep. So, um, want to thank everybody for listening. And uh, Nathan, do you have a final thought for us? No one takes you seriously. Yeah.